Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Greg Patton shares another story of living in today's world. But first, our host, Pastor Larry Spargimino, welcomes Messianic Rabbi Eric Walker to reveal the genesis of all prophecy. We're a little over a month away from our summer virtual prophecy conference. Ten different speakers, all online and all on demand. Watch when you want, as often as you want. From July 15th through the 24th, you'll have complete access to special sessions by Michael Hoggard, Kamal Salim, Micah Van Hus, J.R. Church, Rob Linstead, Larry Spargimino, Noah Hutchings, Doc Marquis, Ambassador Henry Cooper, and Eric Barger. Register today for the Summer Virtual Prophecy Conference by visiting the events section of our website, swrc.com, or by calling 1-800-652-1144. If you have your Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and listen in as Pastor Larry Spargimino and Messianic Rabbi Eric Walker examine how this verse connects to every other prophecy in the Bible. I hold in my hand a very large volume titled 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy. Let me read that verse and then we will visit with Rabbi Eric Walker. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Rabbi Walker, so nice to have you on the phone. To join you and the Southwest Radio Church audience. Well, you have, I think, a tremendous book, a tremendous study of Genesis 3.15. As you say in your book, you wanted to know, who is this mysterious seed? What human woman could bring forth that seed? So, Rabbi Walker, what did you discover? This was something that bothered me as a child. I couldn't understand why so many people hated the Jews. I just couldn't understand it. And at age 45, when I came to faith, in Jesus in a Messianic synagogue, I had had 45 years experience in the world seeing anti-Semitism play out. I saw it in the corporate world. I grew up in a Jewish community. My grandparents came to this country to avoid the settles and the pogroms of Eastern Europe. I was entrenched in this Jewish bubble and saw, and especially growing up in a Catholic city like Pittsburgh. Mm. As I came to faith, it became even more pressing because I became more biblically word-focused. Judaism is beautiful and rich, and we have the Torah, but we tended to, over the 45 years of my life in the 50s through almost the turn of the century, it was more, what does the rabbis have to say about what God was thinking, as opposed to what God has to say what God was thinking. And I began a real pursuit. I wanted to know God, and that's where I found him in a Messianic synagogue. And from that point on, I began to dig deep. And this 315 concept. Why was this the first prophecy? Why was this something that was eternal? This was so profound, and it was going to be something that when I finished reading the Tanakh, the Old Testament, it had never been fulfilled. This disturbed me. Why would God put a prophecy out there where, in other cases, he fulfilled it, but this one was kind of like a dangling prophecy? And then I read the New Testament, and I still didn't see how this specifically fit together and was being fulfilled. 
And so it took me years of research as it compiled in this book with over 270 different resources referenced in this research to put together the compelling case that this profound prophecy, the first prophecy, established the seed line of Messiah. It set in motion that Satan had been told, here is going to bring about your demise, and here is how he's going to do it. I'm just not going to tell you when. And as we look throughout history and the prophetic nature of what happened to Israel, what happened to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, our descendants throughout history, you'll begin to see every attempt was made by Satan to enlisted people all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, until the ultimate encounter takes place where this prophecy is ultimately fulfilled because God is not one who does not say what he does not mean. Sometimes it just takes the entirety of our life and maybe even past our lifetime Hmm. to see this fulfilled. Well, Satan is told, as you point out, who will bring about his final demise and how God will do it. So if Satan can find a way to eliminate his executioner in that way, his dominion on earth would be secure forever. And if he could stop the seed of the woman from coming into the world, his victory would be assured. Now, I love the way you tie all of that in with Genesis 6 and the Nephilim. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's a controversial passage. I don't think it should be, and your insight into it is, I think, quite well put. Genesis 6 is one where we get incredible clarity. The clarity is when God created, he created celestial beings, the angels, and he created man. His creation was created with a contrary nature. He gave the angels a choice. He created man with a choice. And as we read, and we don't, we're not told when this fall occurred, when this division occurred, but there were those that chose to follow the promises of this great politician, this one who in Isaiah promises, if you elect me, I will. We hear this on the campaign stump all the time. It just sounds like Satan's passage from Isaiah. If you elect me, I will arise to the throne of Washington. If you elect me, I'll put a chicken in every pot. And those are the promises, and they're believable. When you're in desperate situations and desperate times, you want to grab a hold of anything, and Satan knew the right thing to say and the right promises. Well, he promised that to the angels who wound up following them. So they fell to earth with him, took on human form, and then the remaining angels were confirmed in the holiness. This is such a beautiful picture of us in our glorified bodies, that once we are in our glorified bodies, we are confirmed in our holiness. We can no longer sin. That sin nature, that contrary nature is dead and gone. But while we are in the flesh, we struggle. Paul even says, I do what I ought not to do and what I should do, I don't. It's something that God understands. But we see it in this Genesis 6 passage where we see this amazing fall but we also see God telling us this message that blessed his memory. Chuck Misler first introduced it to me. Maybe others saw it before that. I don't know. But when you take the ten names of Adam to Noah and you translate them into their Hebrew counterpart, there is a divine message in there. Yes. And people can argue all the time, well, maybe loosely translated, you know what? It's so close, I'm okay with it. And it says, 
as you translate those ten names. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death will bring those in despair, hope, or rest. Right. Pastor, is that not the gospel message right there in Genesis? Yes, and you point out you have a composite list of the Hebrew and English translation, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah, and you put all of that together. As you said, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death would bring those in despair rest. And, of course, you mentioned Chuck Missler. He was greatly beloved, a great Bible scholar, but there's the message. And so in your book, you find so much in the opening chapters of Genesis. I think so often we read those chapters. We think they are mythological. We don't see them as historical. I believe that they are historical. If somebody had been there with their cameras, their movie cameras, their Nikons, whatever, they would see all of this because this actually happened. Pastor Larry, what's so interesting is we call Genesis the book of creation. It's not. There's only 14 verses in Genesis that talk about creation. That's right. Mm -hmm. Genesis is the book of separation. It shows us the separation of light from darkness, heaven from earth, water from the sea. All these things God separated. He separated man from woman, and ultimately man separated himself from God. And then we get this wonderful Bible. All the rest of the Bible which lays out the path of return. We have to learn this lesson that there is a separation that came. But yet, God opened the door for us that we may come back. And it takes us much longer one step over that line, sweet Jesus. One step over that line. But we step over that long line, and it may take us a lifetime to get back. And God provides that path for us. The trials, the tribulations, but through that, he's always been protecting the seed line. Why has Israel never been annihilated? Mm-hmm. Why has the seed line never been cut off? Because even when it came down to one, Joseph in the 70s, even when it came down to one, Esther, all of Israel, in the hands of one person, Noah, Moses, petitioning God to appeal to God's true nature, to relent, to let the Jewish people live. All the way through, Herod's attempt to kill them, Hitler's attempt to kill us. All throughout that, when you see that, you see God supernaturally intervening, because this is the plan. And Jesus speaks so eloquently about it. Paul speaks so eloquently about it. And my deepest concern, Pastor Larry, is that those who are sitting in the pews in our churches who are calling themselves Christians are only embracing, I want to say, the observation deck of the Empire State Building. They're missing the rich foundation. They're missing the foundational floors. They're missing the foyer. They're missing all the things that are happening right there at the base that allowed that amazing edifice to be built. And yes, you can appreciate, and it's wonderful that we have this magnificent gift of Jesus. But once we accept Messiah, that event is done. What happens to the rest of our life, and how should we live it? And that is the path that God lays out for us, and the Jews play a significant part, as a matter of fact, pivotal to the return of Messiah and the things that Jesus said, 
the things that are written in the New Testament that are ignored by so much of the church points back to the fact that what you didn't do to the Jewish people, you didn't do to Jesus. And it's going to be Jerusalem or the leadership of Jerusalem to call for the return of Messiah. And the question becomes, what are we going to do to shore up our understanding and return back? I'm not saying turn Christianity to Judaism. I'm saying let's go to the full counsel of God's Word. Amen. See what His message is for today. And let's embrace the fullness of it so we're not built on a shaky foundation that we too can all stand together, grafted in one Messiah, and understand God's call on Israel, the Jewish people, and where the church needs to take a stand in support of a biblical mandate by God. Tell us about the separation between the bride and the groom. You talk about the building of churches with a center aisle, this whole idea of separation, which you've pointed out, light from darkness, the waters from above, and the waters from below, the separation of the greater light from the lesser light. But tell us about the separation between the bride and groom and the center aisle. We have this wonderful, beautiful service that we have today, and there was a time when church architects wouldn't even consider building a church without a center aisle. And I would ask people, why do you do that? And they said, well, that's to accommodate the wedding. Well, why do you do it that way? Well, that's just how we've always done it. Mm. And it always reminds me of the stories of the person that was cutting the pot roast, and they always prepared the pot roast by cutting off the ends. And finally, somebody says, why do you do that? And I said, that's because that's how my mother did it. <laughs> right. And they said, well, let's ask your mother. Why did she do that? Well, she says, well, that's because her mother did it. And they finally get to the great-grandmother, and the great-grandmother says, well, the only reason we did that was because we didn't have a pot big enough <laughs> to pull it to a full roast in, so we just cut off the ends. And so the family becomes traditionally, they just cut off the ends. Well, we have this position here in 2022 where we do, we have people who are looking for a place or a church with a center aisle because they want to have a traditional wedding ceremony. And so when you ask yourself, what does that mean? We have to hearken back to the Bible. So God tells Abraham to take the animals and to cut the animals in two and to divide the birds, and God will pass through them to confirm his covenant with Abraham. So here's this amazing picture, because it doesn't end then. So Abraham actually doesn't do exactly what God tells him. He doesn't cut the birds in two, he separates the birds. And interestingly enough, there are two consequences to him for that. One is, is that he's spending time fighting the vultures off, and two, he has a very, very, very disturbed sleep where he's attacked by Satan in his sleep. And kind of the message there is that 99% obedience is 100% disobedience mm. in God's economy. Right. But God was making a point. He says, I'm going to confirm my covenant with you. So God is going to pass through this divide first before he makes any request whatsoever of Abraham. So he does that, and he confirms his covenant with Abraham. And now he asks Abraham to confirm his covenant with God. And he does that by asking him to remove the foreskin and to make a cut. In Hebrew, that's a brit. Brit is a cut. So we have the ceremony of Brit Malah. We have on the eighth day when a young boy can produce the vitamin K, which is the clotting factor. And we know that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, so we know that this is a very traditional Jewish thing that's been done since the time of Abraham. 
Well, it gets just a little bit more complicated than that because Abraham had to confirm his covenant, and he took and he confirmed that covenant by circumcising himself and his 13-year-old son Ishmael. Years later, he conceives a son named Isaac, and then we come to Genesis 22, and we hear these words spoken. Abraham, Abraham. Abraham answers, here I am. And God says to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And you have to pause for a minute, because you have to say, well, wait a second, you have a son, Ishmael. Well, we go back to the covenant of the circumcision, and we have to look at what passed through. Well, first, God passed through the divide of the animals to confirm his covenant with Abraham. Now he wants Abraham to have something passed through a divide to confirm his covenant with God. That was the seed of Isaac that passed through the circumcision, passed through the cut, and therefore Isaac was the first child conceived by having his seed passed through the cut mm. of the circumcision. Mm. We now have the full picture of how it takes both parties to pass through the cut and both parties to confirm the covenant. Now we have the covenant of marriage. We set this system up where the groom comes down the aisle first and it has its families are separated. One, the groom's family is on one side, the bride's family is on the other side, and he passes through the divided family. And he's basically saying, this is the last time you're going to see me. He passes through the cup. He then waits to receive his bride. The parents of the bride bring her down through the divided family, and once again, she is passing through, and she is saying, this is the last time you're going to see me. Now, because of what took place between Laban and Rachel and marriage ceremony with the veil, the bride is presented and the veil is lifted so that the goods are inspected before the marriage is consummated. That's biblical as well. And so the bride is received by the groom. The parents go sit down, and now you have the bride and the groom. The bride and the groom, you have the pronouncement, and once they are pronounced, they are no longer pronounced by their old name. They are Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. I'd like to present to you Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Right. Everybody stands, stands up, and the bride and the groom will arm lock together, pass between the divided families, confirming the covenant with each other. They're basically saying, we no longer belong to the family to the right, we no longer belong to the family to the left, we are passing through you to confirm our covenant with each other. Isn't that a magnificent, biblical, beautiful ceremony created by God for the confirmation of a covenant? We'll continue to look into the genesis of all prophecy with Rabbi Eric Walker next time. In our resource center today, we have Eric Walker's brand new book, 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy. In this book, we hear the prophecy God spoke in the beginning and intends to fulfill despite Satan's destructive agenda. We're taken on a journey following the biblical and historical thread of the first prophecy in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation from a Jewish understanding. Order your copy of 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy, when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com.
Greg Patton is here once again to share another story from Living in Today's World. Well, I was sitting in the kitchen nook yesterday drinking coffee and looking at my wife. This woman who has done professional modeling, she had been a nurse, oh, and a really good one, owned her own cleaning company, became one of, well, the best furniture salespeople in the nation for her company. She won several awards, three out of four years, top salesman in the nation, selling over a million and a half dollars worth of sofas. And there she is now. She has shrunk. She has scoliosis. She's got titanium rods in her back, both knees replaced, had a heart attack, had a stroke, nearly died a couple of times, once with pancreatic problems that eventually got resolved. And I thought, wow, how life moves on. I feel like I'm in my 40s, seriously. And yet I look in the mirror and, oh, there's the shocker. And truth be known, we're all going down this path. And only what's done for Christ will last. And that's why it's so important that you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, because you can't stop time. It moves on. And with it, you age. And things begin to happen to you from head to toe. You're not what you were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You get the idea. Again, we all walk down this path. It is inevitable. And so the most important thing in all the world is to know where you're going. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior today? A couple of folks, one of them famous, one not so famous, came into my mind recently, and I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you on all of that. I know most of you are familiar with the name Billy Graham. You're not familiar with the name... Ronald Ott. Both of those people have been really important in my life in days gone by. Let me share this. Now, I don't know. You may or may not have heard this, but it's, it's good. It's important. And it will arrest your thinking this day. When Billy Graham was 92 years old, he was struggling with Parkinson's disease. In January, a month before his 93rd birthday, leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, to a luncheon. It was going to be in his honor. Billy initially hesitated to accept the invitation because of his struggles with Parkinson's. But the Charlotte leader said, we don't expect a major address. Just come and, and let us honor you, sir. Billy Graham agreed to do just that. After wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped to the podium, looked at the crowd and said, you know, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who this month has been honored by Time Magazine as Man of the Century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket, so he reached into his trouser pockets. It wasn't there either. He looked in his briefcase. He couldn't find it. Then he looked at the seat beside him, and he still couldn't find the ticket. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure that you bought the ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued on down the aisle, punching tickets. As he was ready to move on to the next car, he turned around and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees, looking under his seat again for that ticket. 
The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it, I said. I know who you are. It's not a problem. You do not need a ticket. I'm sure you bought a ticket, sir. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know, however, is where I'm going. Having said that, Billy Graham continued, see, the suit I'm wearing, it's a brand new suit. My children and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be a bit more fastidious. I was always a good dresser. So I went out and I bought a new suit for this luncheon today and for one more occasion. You all know what that occasion is, don't you? This is the suit in which I'm going to be buried in. But when you hear that I am dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit that I'm wearing today. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I know where I'm going. May your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and may nothing but happiness come through your door. Life without God is an unsharpened pencil. It has no point. May each of us live our lives so that when our ticket is punched, we don't have to worry about where we're going. We know already. It made me think about Ronald Ott. He is the man who leased us his farmhouse for 10 solid years for little or nothing so that we could make our way in the ministry. Ronald Ott was a good Christian man. I preached in his church more than once. For his age, and he was older when I met him, I was amazed over the years to watch him do the farming, and there's very few things that he could not do, he could not make. I mean, he was just genius in so many areas. Toward the end, though, it got more difficult for him to do things. It catches up to us all sooner or later. And then, of course, that ended with Mr. Ott being put in a nursing facility and not all that much later, graduating to glory. Difficult to witness or to be a part of. You're going to be there someday, going from that person on the go, able to do this, that, and the other thing, to, if you live long enough, doing almost nothing but surviving day to day. But to know, to know there's a better tomorrow, that you're saved and heaven-bound, that's really the answer to everything in life, is it not? And if you haven't done it, the question might be, why not do it today? Talking about salvation. Yeah, there's a lot of great stories out there, but the best is the story of Jesus going to a cross, dying on an old rugged cross, that you and I might have life eternal. All of our sins cast upon him. Why don't you do it today? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're not saved, today would be the day to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Just bow your head. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and invite Jesus Christ into your life. It will be the greatest day of your life if you do it. There really are thousands of stories as we live in today's world. This has been one. Our featured resource today is Rabbi Eric Walker's new book, 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy. 
The genesis of all prophecy exposes anti-Semitism as Satan's agenda in a way most of us have never heard. Order your copy of 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy, when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, Rabbi Eric Walker will continue his examination of Genesis 315. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.